My name's Jeff Enix, for those of you that don't know me. I was here last Sunday when Pastor was speaking about scattering and sharing the good news of Christ. And I too am amazed that God uses people to do that work. And I'm also feel like the least worthy of those to be doing it. But I told him about an event that happened two days before last Sunday. I was purchasing an item from a gentleman on Craigslist. We went in the house, we uh, talked about the item, I purchased it, but I could tell something was not right with him and he was down. And I, I kind of recognize clinical depression in people's eyes because I've had clinical depression myself. And so I said to him, Chris, is something wrong or are you depressed? And he said, yes. And immediately the wall just fell down. And he happened to have a Bible sitting on his coffee table. And I said, Chris, there's one of my favorite scriptures in there that I want to share with you. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And it's, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests made known unto God. And the peace that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he seemed so calmed by that. And he said, where was that again? And I said, it's Philippians 4, 6, but better yet, I said, read all of chapter 4 of Philippians because it, because it is so packed with so much. And he said that he would. And a scripture I just want to share is that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And it's praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So I don't know why I got clinical depression. Maybe it's to minister to people like Chris. But I'm praying now for Chris's salvation, and I'm praying for the, the peace of Christ to be upon him. Thank you. Well, we've been talking about scattering, and a lot of scattering happens just like that. It's not like pre-planned. It's not like you've got to think and strategize it and formulate plans and all of that. It just kind of happens, and we have to be ready. And I have a, I have a little book that calls five minute, it's called Five Minute Ministry. Most ministry happens like in real short little snippets like that. I don't know how long Jeff spent with him. Most ministry is not prolonged out for a long time. It just kind of happens. And I have to be ready for it. I have to be ready for, to allow God to use me in those moments. That was unplanned. Uh, he drove, I think, it, he told me he drove close to Columbus, and I don't think he was driving up there and thinking, well, okay, God, you're going to have an opportunity to use me here. It just kind of happened, and we have to be ready. 
Uh, sometimes I pray not only for open doors, I pray that I will recognize that the door is open. Because there have been so many times in my life, as I look back on it, it was an open door, but I didn't see it as an open door. So as we scatter, it's not many times this big thing. It may be just two or three minutes in a guy's house. And I just wanted to play that. It's just one example of scattering, and people have come up to me, and, and we're going to play another example uh, next week as well. Um, we're in a, I don't know, five or six-week series of messages about the same topic, and that's uh, to scatter. We do two things as a Christian. We gather, as we're doing now. We gather, and then we scatter. And just for the sheer fact that we spend most of our time scattering, you could say that the scattering is the most important part of this thing. The Bible has very little to say about our gathering times, whether we gather for worship and gather in fellowship and gather for in small groups or in Sunday school or whatever we gather as. The Bible has little, some, little to say, though, about our gathering times. It has much to say about our scattering times. And just think, you spend 99 point something percent of your time away from church, away from the gathering. So that alone makes it really important. Someone handed me this this morning. And it's, just, it's amazing how God does stuff like this. Um, it just fits perfectly to what I'm saying right now. You've seen these things that says, you know, if... If you're going to live 70 years, you're going to spend X amount of time working and X amount of time sleeping and so forth and so on. That's what this is. So it says you're going to spend 24. If you live 70 years, uh, uh, live 70 years, you're going to spend 24 years sleeping. You're going to spend 14 years working. You're going to spend six years at the dinner table. You've seen stuff like that. Da 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 da. Then it says if you went to church every Sunday in 70 years and prayed five minutes every morning and night you would be giving God five months of your life. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, this is used to beat people over the head. That, that, that's, that's, shouldn't, that's not how I'm saying this, okay? I'm just saying it. If you go to church every Sunday in seven years and you spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening in devotion, you would have spent five months. You would have spent 24 sleeping and 14 working and so forth and so on. We spend most of our life scattering. And it's really, really important. And that's why we're devoting a whole sermon series to it. We talked about, in the very first week, we talked about it helps when you scatter to see yourself as God sees you. Each of us receive uh, identity and self-esteem in a certain way and see ourselves in a certain way. Some of us see ourselves the way our mother saw us. And she, and she said some things, both maybe good or bad, and we still see ourselves that way. Um, Some see ourselves the way our dad spoke to us, and that could be good or bad. Some see ourselves the way our friends speak to us. Some see ourselves the way our our husband speaks to us. My identity is in my husband. My identity is in my wife. My identity is in my work. My identity is in my kids. And we said all that can be have some use, but we should see ourselves as God sees us. And one of the ways that God sees us, it says in his word in 2 Corinthians, that if we are a Christian... We are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And we said it helps us so much when we go buy something off of Craigslist and go knock on Chris's door. If I walk in there, not just as Mark Atherton, but I walk in there as Mark Atherton, ambassador of Jesus Christ. Now, there may, have a do- there may be a door that's open for me to speak something to him. 
in a spiritual way, or there may not be a door open for that. And the, one of the worst things you can do is knock that door down if it's not open because it feels clumsy and weird and awkward. But sometimes there's a door open, and, and I, if I'm ready and see myself as God sees me as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, but wait now, some of you are saying, well, that's not me. That's, that's you, Mark, because you have been called to full-time ministry. No, that's not what Scripture says. The Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, not those called to full-time ministry, not those who have been to Bible college, not those who have been to seminary, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Then a few verses later it says, therefore, he is Christ's ambassador. How do you see yourself? We said it helps. Scatter if I see myself as God sees me. We, we said when we scatter, we're basically talking about evangelism. And evangelism is a weird word, and we don't like that word because we've had a bad experience with an evangelist, or we had a bad experience uh, doing evangelism. You know, some of us, they used, to, oh, they used to teach you this stuff. You would go knock on someone's door, and someone would come to the door, and, and, you'd, and you could tell behind them that they were eating supper or something, and they would, and they would say, well, it's not really a good time. And then they teach you, <laughs> they actually teach you, say, well, nobody knows how much time we have left. Well, that's just weird, friends. That's rude. That's pushy. That's not, I don't anywhere in Scripture see that Jesus did that with, to the people that he was reaching, or his disciples did that. We've tried to say evangelism is nothing more, and we've got a definition of evangelism we gave you a few weeks ago. It's anything done intentionally to move people closer to the decision of following Christ. And what Jeff Enix did on the video was evangelism. He didn't lead that person to the Lord. That person didn't become a Christian because of that, but may have helped that person take a step closer. No one, if they're way far away from God, no one, if they're way far away from God, takes all that in one step to this point of becoming a Christian. It's incremental, gradual step to to that point of accepting Christ. And what Jeff did was evangelism. Anything done intentionally. Anything done intentionally that helps people take a step closer. Last week we talked about witnessing, and that's a really tough word, and we don't like it, and that scares us, and we don't do, don't do well at that, and we know God has called us to be witnesses, and we just said witnesses is nothing more than being able to tell people what God has done for you. That's all that it is. Don't get freaked out about it. And we went to Acts chapter 26, and we saw, saw the pattern that the Apostle Paul gives us for giving our testimony. There's a t- that you talk about what happened to you before Christ, how you came to Christ, and a little bit of the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That's all there is to it. 30 seconds, one minute before Christ. 30 seconds, one minute how you came to Christ. 30 seconds, one minute the difference that Jesus has made in your life. We saw that modeled by Phil Robertson on video last week. Well, I don't know if Phil read Acts 26 or not, but he followed that exact same pattern. And he witnessed to all of us. And witnessing is nothing more than telling what God has done for you. So we are attempting to scatter, and we're attempting to make an influence in people's lives. And when we scatter, we scatter all over the Xenia area. And that's why we have that map back there in the, map, in the back. And some of you have put push pins in that map, and we'd like for you to do that. It's the approximate location of your home. 
and we're going to keep that map out there a couple of weeks, and then we may bring it up front, and then we may find uh, uh, some permanent place for it. I don't know. To remind us that we're scattering, we're scattering all over Xenia in this area around. They're, they're, they're little points of light because the Bible calls us the light of the world. They're little points of light all over Xenia. And obviously, we're not the only Christians in Xenia. So that we think the world's going to hell in the handbasket, but there's little points of light. There's little ambassadors and ambassadorettes, if there's such a thing, all over. Put your, uh, put your push pin in the approximate. We weren't able to make a uh, map big enough to put your actual street and everything in the approximate location of where you live. Now, this morning, as you scatter, there may come an opportunity there may come an opportunity as you scatter to invite someone to church. You know, if, if someone's way far away from God, maybe they're not ready for an invitation to church. But, you know, as they've taken a few steps, maybe they're ready for an invitation to church. Maybe they've been raised in church and they're now out of church and they understand about church. You know, some people don't know when to stand up and sit down and all that. Kind of, they, they understand a little bit about that and they may be ready for an invitation. And so as we scatter, there, there, there is a time that you may invite people to church. You know, you know what? If each family in this church would take it upon ourselves in the next year to try to incorporate one new family into this church, our church would double. We go to all kinds of church growth conferences. We hear all this stuff about church growth. You know how churches grow? <laughs> one person invites another person. <laughs> so it's always been that way. It's always been that way. And, and you see large, large churches. The way those churches have grown is because one person shared, not necessarily had to share the gospel. They just said, hey, you want to come to church with me next weekend? I heard one guy that this was his approach on, on, on Monday morning. He would always go up to people and say, hey, what you do last weekend? And they'll say, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And almost out of courtesy, they'll reply, well, what did you do last weekend? And he said, da 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 and, and, and then we go to church every Sunday and down to, why don't you go to church one Sunday? As we scatter, there may be an opportunity. Now, if the opportunity's not there, don't force the door down. It's awkward. It's weird. It's like fingernails on a blackboard. But if the opportunity presents itself, there's an opportunity to invite people to church. And that's how churches grow. Churches don't grow because of great preachers. No one out there in the world knows anything or comes to any church because he's a great preacher. No one does that. They don't even know. They're out, they're out there. No one comes because of great music. No one comes because of, of remodeling. You know, we spent $100,000 in the last four years on remodeling the children's area. It really needed it. It was, it was dated. But no one comes, oh, they've, got a, they've remodeled their children's area. Let's go. No. People don't do that. Now, they may stay because you have a nice children's area. They may stay because your music's okay. They may stay because your preachers, people are okay. Nobody comes because there's a friendly church. The people aren't out there this morning laying in bed. Well, I wonder where there's a friendly church I can go to. No, they people don't. They may not come back because you didn't say hi to them and you didn't recognize them and you walked right past them and didn't recognize that they were new to this church. They, they may not come back, but they, people come because they're invited. And most of you, not all of you, most of you have come to church because you were invited by family or friends. Someone brought you. 
That's, that's me. That's most of you. You, you received an invitation. And that's the biblical way as well. You do not see Jesus or the disciples coercing, arguing, trying to convict people, make them feel guilty. You don't see any of that. You simply see them issuing an invitation. If you have your Bible, open it to the Gospel of Luke. That's one of the Gospels. The Gospel simply means it's the words of Jesus. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a physician, and he did not give a firsthand account, but he talked to other peoples and gave an account of what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. And in the 14th chapter of Luke, there's something of an invitation that's given. And because there's an invitation given, we can learn a little bit about what we're talking about here in scattering. Luke chapter 16 said a certain man made a certain man made a great banquet some translations would say feast there and invited many guests at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited come for everything is now ready the same exact story shows up in Matthew 22 and and it starts with the kingdom of god is like a man who had a great banquet Now, the kingdom of God is not all about the church, but the church is certainly a strong part of the kingdom of God. And we see here that a man sets a big feast, a big supper, a great banquet, and he says, I want to invite people in to that. Um, one of the things that makes it a little bit easier to invite people to church is you're inviting to something that you're really excited about yourself. This is a great feast. It's a great banquet. It's a great supper. He was inviting people to. And let's just be honest. Humanity says something that we do every Sunday. We've done every Sunday for six months, for a year, for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 40 years. Something we do all the time loses a little bit of excitement. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Anything that we do all of the time and some of us have been going to church almost every Sunday for a long time, can lose some of its excitement. And for me to be able to scatter and seize an opportunity to invite someone to church, I need to be excited about what's going on. And because we do this every single week, I sometimes think in my own spirit and maybe in you, you, your spirit that I, I forget what we do here. I mean... We don't come here to see one another and to pat ourselves on the back. I mean, we come in here to sit in the presence of God. Now, I know, I know you theologians would say God's presence is everywhere, and you're right. But you know what? There's something special about the presence of God in the corporate gathering of people. When like-minded people get together, there's something special about that. I can be a fan of the Buckeyes out anywhere walking Xenia, but when a hundred thousand of them gather together, there's something special that happens. And and I have the privilege of coming into this place and celebrating what God has done for me. I have the privilege and the freedom of coming in this place and saying the, the, the chains of sin are broken have the privilege 
Not to come in here and, well, better go to church today because God will get mad at me if I don't. No, I'm coming in here to celebrate what he's done for me. That's the purpose of coming in here and to worship him and thank you, Jesus, what you've done for me. And if we lose the fact of that, sometimes it becomes same old, same old. And it gets harder. It gets harder to invite people to same old, same old. You know, I don't know how many of you fly very often. I, I fly every now and then. And, you know, flying's just hard, isn't it? It's just hard. You see people, in, all the people in airports, they're unhappy. I mean, they're, they know that, that flying's hard and you get this, you, you get this feeling bad and kind of nauseated feeling sometimes when you kind of get hung over from the flight and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and you know, you, you only, you got to go through all your bags and you can only take just like a little piece of toothpaste, you know, a three ounce thing. And they don't even give you snacks anymore. They've taken that away. Got to pay for my luggage. And everybody in an airport is just mad. Not, well, that's exaggerated. It's just not happy. They're just, they're just not happy anymore because I've, I've got this, traveling is an ordeal. It's an absolute ordeal. But do you realize what happens when I go to an airport? I'm getting ready to fly. But because I've done that time and time again, it becomes old hat. I'm getting ready to fly to pick a spot, Seattle. And I'm going to get to Seattle, Washington in five hours. It would take me three days staying at Motel 6s along the way. And now I'm going to get there in five hours. It's unbelievable. I think when the Wright brothers took off that very first time, man, they were absolutely fired up. But because we've had flight and flight for 10 and 50 and 100 and more years, we are same old, same old. And we forget I'm going to travel 500 miles an hour, 30,000 feet in the air, and I can be on the internet when I'm up there. How does that happen? And I wonder. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we forget what actually happens here. God speaks to you through a very, the Bible calls me an earthen vessel. God speaks through music. God speaks through preaching. God speaks through prayers. And what we do here is special, friends. And may God help it never become same-o, same-o. This is the day that the Lord has made. May I rejoice and be glad in it. So I think if I have that excitement about coming to church, what's God going to say today? And let me ask you, let me, let me just tell you something very, very honest. From, from, the, from the depth of a pastor's heart, if you're not excited about going to church here, you need to find a church you're excited about. You really do. That's a privilege you ought to have. And our church is not for everyone. And their church is not for everyone. And, but there's churches that can mix with everybody's personality. If you're not excited about the ministry of this church and coming to this church, please, I think God would tell you, find a church you're excited about. And get involved in that ministry because it's worth, it's something worth being excited about. I think it's easier to extend that invitation when God opens the door. I think it's easier to extend that invitation when God opens the door. If I'm excited about what's going on. 
the scripture says, extend the invitation and say, come, everything's ready. Pretty simple invitation, right? Come, everything's ready. I have a personal conviction in in my life that we make a lot of things with evangelism really way harder than it actually is. We teach people all these things they have to say and all these scriptures they have to memorize. And I think, I think average lay man or lay woman out here, average churchgoer, they, you don't, it's hard to learn all that stuff. And you're hesitant about that stuff because, you know, you're supposed to take classes in evangelism and read these books on evangelism. It's almost like we make it an academic thing. And the invitation is just really simple. Just come. (laughs) Come and see. You don't have to explain all this. Well, well, why? You you ask somebody to come to church. Well, I don't know about church. He said, I I don't know why. If God's such a good God, then why do we have all the evil in the world today? I, I don't know that either. Just come and see. I'm going to go to my grave not knowing that. You don't have to know the Roman road. You don't have to know the four spiritual laws. You don't have to know the ABCs of salvation, all the different ways that you lead someone to Christ. Man, that's intimidating for most people. Come. I've I've led the people, people to the Lord sometimes with a sheet of paper and drawn a bridge illustration and drawn... Uh, man on this side and God on this side and, and, and a chasm in between and this chasm sin and the cross of Jesus is, uh, helps bridge that chasm of sin and I teach people that in classes and it's called the bridge illustration. You don't have to know that. That's too hard. You can't explain this thing. How do you explain this thing called the cross? How do you explain this thing called the gospel? How do you explain that Jesus came down? He's always been existing. He came down in the form of a little baby born of a virgin. How do you explain that? Can you hear me? Jesus is not something to be explained. He's someone to be experienced. And we make this thing too academic. I don't know everything about this. I don't know where you find that in Scripture. I don't know. Sometimes I don't even know where the book of Job is. But just come on. That's the way. That's the biblical way, too. Because in the Bible, you don't see the disciples trying to coerce people. You don't see them trying to convict people. You don't see them trying to argue people. You don't see them trying to debate people. And with the church, the only thing the church wants is your money. Just come on. <laughs> well, I just don't understand that Jesus is the only way, and all these other people, they're going to be dying and going to hell. I don't understand. That's really hard, isn't it? Just come on. <laughs> you don't have to have an answer for every objection. Now, some of you know the Bible, know that you're ahead of me right now, and you know that the Bible says that you need to have a reason for the hope that is within you. And, and, and some people have special calls, and it's called for apologetics, to be able to answer some of those things in a real good academic way because there are a few people, not very many, a few people that really have to understand it academically. But for most people, I don't know anything other than I was lost, but now I'm found. 
I don't know what happened to me on August 29th, 1993. I cannot ha- tell you what happened to me on the third row from the back at Calvary Baptist Church. I don't know, but I left there a different place. And whatever happened has stuck since August 29th, 1993. I can't explain all the ins and outs. I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I can't explain all the ins and outs because it's not an academic thing. It's an experiential thing. Don't make Jesus about academics. He's not something that you explain. He's someone that you experience. We've got lots of this inviting thing. That, that's how the church grew, man. How did the church go from Jesus and 12 disciples to a third of the people on, on the planet today profess some sort of Christianity? How did that growth? In a short period of time, really, 2,000 years is a short period of time. What's the scripture we have up here? Some of these examples of Jesus inviting. These are the first disciples. This is how Jesus gathered them. Next day, John, that's John the Baptist. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus uh, saw them following and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come. He replied, and you will see. Just come hang out with me. Come follow me. Start being part of the gang. I don't have to answer all of your questions right now. Start, just start hanging tight. Some of you were here for our children's program, and, and some of them had a, we're trying to give birthday gifts to Jesus and Jesus says I don't I don't want the gifts I just want to hang out with you I just want to be with you and there's a lot of questions to be answered maybe and we know some of the answers and don't know some of the answers but just come and experience Jesus just come and follow me what else do we have Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and had followed Jesus The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. This is how the church grows. This is how the church grows. We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, were from the town of Bethesda. Peter found, uh, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh, Nathanael says, Nazareth? Or it, it's not a question mark there. It's more like, Nazareth? How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know what? Philip didn't know the answer to that question. He just said, Come see. There was an objection. Here's an objection, that Nathaniel, and maybe it's a good objection. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Nazareth was the other side of the tracks. I don't have any idea what Nazareth was, okay? Philip did not have an answer for that objection. He just said, man, I don't know how anything good can go out of Nazareth. Can't really explain it, man. Come and see. What else do we have up here, Karen? 
John chapter 4, this is a story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus sat down at the well, and the Samaritan woman came and were offering him some water. And Jesus said, it's great that you give me some water, but I can give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. And it's a whole big, long story. Jesus' disciples had gone in to buy some food. So Jesus was having this little one-on-one thing with the Samaritan woman, and the disciples returned after they bought some food. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. That would have been taboo in that day. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. Okay, She, got her, she met Jesus. She got water and she goes back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this, uh, maybe he's just a magician, I don't know, but could this be a, the Messiah? I don't know a lot of things about him. I mean, maybe he's just a, a mind reader or something. Could this be the one we've been looking for? Could, come and see. Oh, that, that couldn't, that, he, he was just playing tricks on him. Maybe so, but he told me, and, and, and what Jesus told her, some of you that know the story, he, he, he basically knew her past life, that she'd have five husbands, and the man that she's living with now was not her husband. I mean, he told her about himself. He said, come, come see this one that told me everything I ever did. Could he be? I don't, maybe not. I just don't know. But come, and let's figure this out together. One more scripture. Matthew 28, this is Easter Sunday morning. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. How do you explain the resurrection of the dead? How do you explain that he was dead for three days and now he's not here anymore? How do you explain that? I have no clue. Come here and see he's not here anymore. How do you, how do you explain that? How do you logically defend that? How do you explain all the ends? And how do you explain the resurrection of the dead? I have no clue. Just come and see. He's not here anymore. But, but what about, I don't, he's not here anymore. But maybe somebody stopped. He's not here anymore. Come and see. How do you explain the resurrection of the dead? How do you explain your born-again experience? How do you explain that you were lost and now you're found? How do you explain that your life has turned around on a dime? How do you explain that you don't drink anymore? How do you explain that you don't cheat on your wife anymore? You can't explain all that. That has to be experienced. You can't academically explain all the ins and outs and how Jesus comes in and totally changes a person's life and what I once hated, I now love, and what I once loved, I now hated. You can't explain all that. You have to experience that. You have to experience that. Come on, neighbor. Something's happened to me. I'm not the same person I used to be. I don't know how it happened. 
when you give explanations, things bog down. When you get explanations, it gets confusing. You walk into Walmart, and there's the greeter there who's smiling about half of the time. And you say, well, where are the hammers? Where are the hammers? Well, you walk down here and take a left on aisle 9 and go all the way to the end of aisle 9 and then take another left and walk down to aisle 17 and all the way back to the end of 17, past the nails before you get to the bumper at the end. And, uh, you know, Sam Walton used to tell all of us, he said, you don't point them anywhere, you walk them to where? Because explanations are really hard. We get confused and bogged down with explanations. Sam Walton's not running Walmart anymore, and they point you. Jesus is not something to be explained. He's someone to be experienced. I don't know why my life turned at the age of 34 years of age. I can't explain that to you. I don't know. I don't know what happened that day. It just happened. Maybe it'll happen to you too. I really think it helps too. As we scatter and as the opportunity presents itself, crucial thing there, you don't knock the door down. You don't kick the door open as an opportunity presents itself. You may invite someone to church. And it helps if you're excited. Let me tell you something, friends. You know the people who are really excited about going to church? It's people who have not been able to go to church for a while. It's people that because of illness or sickness or whatever, they have not been able to come into the house of God you know what? You don't have to tell them about being excited to come in the house of God. They're anxious to come in the house of God. Greg Sanders has been sick since Christmas Eve. He hasn't been able to come to church. He wanted to be here today. You, you, you take the privilege away that we have of the freedom of worship, take it away from us for a while, you'll be excited about going to church. And if you're excited about going to church, maybe that makes it easier to say, And not to confuse people, not to explain people, not to explain it all away, not to have all the scripture verses memorized. Not... Just come and see. 